1: Greetings, and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and Ring TV. My guest on this episode is 2019 International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, Mr. James Buddy McGirt, one of the top trainers in the business today. We had a chance to discuss his induction into the Hall of Fame and his most recent victory with uh, light heavyweight champion Sergey Kovalev. We also discussed his Hall of Fame fighting career, including his great fights with Frankie Warren, Saul Mambi, Meldrick Taylor, Howard Davis, Simon Brown, and the great Brunel Whitaker. We also discussed his relationship with his managers, Al Cerdo and Stuart Weiner, and the allegations of mafia influence. Uh, also went into his struggles uh, finding a footing Uh, after his retirement from the ring and his move into training and training fighters such as Arturo Gatti, Antonio Tarver, and Vernon Forrest. It was a great, great conversation. Really enjoyed it, and I really hope you do too. I would like to welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast one of my favorite people in the business, um, recent Hall of Fame inductee, Mr uh James Buddy McGart, how you doing buddy? Good,
2: how you been, babe?
1: Excellent, 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 man. Listen, I I was so psyched when I saw that uh that you've been inducted, man. Uh, you're boxing royalty now, man. You're you're immortal. <laughs> how does it feel to hey, be you, a Hall of Famer, man? It feels
2: great, man. You know, um to be put in the Hall of Fame with the grapes of the business, you know. It, I mean, it's something that you got to work hard to get. Like, you work hard to get the championship, but most importantly, to be appreciated by the fans and, you know, and to help me get inducted means more than anything.
1: Absolutely. Well, you're much, much, much deserved. And, and believe me, I, I've, I've, you know, definitely got a. Got to, uh, I mean, you've got so many, dude, you've got so many great stories. I mean, I, I hope, you know, I'm going to try and keep this under two hours. <laughs> but uh, I want to I get, uh, I definitely want to get to your career because there's, there's so many uh, great fights and great stories. But, uh, you know, besides being inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, you've been in the news for uh, helping revive uh, Sergei Kovalev's career and, and guiding him to the win in his rematch with the uh, leader Alvarez on, uh, on February 2nd. Uh, how'd you get hooked up with Sergey?
2: His manager called me because he brought me another fighter named Johnny Beck. Who you got to keep your eyes off for? It. This kid's a future superstar.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about him. I wanted to ask you about him, but yeah, let's let's.
2: Well, after like two weeks of Johnny Beck, the manager called me back. I said, "Would you consider training this, um Cova?" I said, "Why not?" That's, you know, if you can set up a meeting between us, we can talk,
1: work for a couple of days, and then go from there. And then after that, here we are. Cool, cool. Well, Kovalev was—I mean—he's a huge underdog, and well, maybe not a huge underdog, but he's definitely an underdog in a rematch with Alvarez. And you know, a lot of people were talking about how he's finished and how Andre Ward took his soul in that second fight. and uh, I mean. How did you prepare Kovalev uh, for the Alvarez rematch to to prove all the doubters wrong?
2: To be honest, Perk, I never saw the first fight.
1: Hmm. You
2: know, I don't believe in watching tape.
1: Interesting. Okay. I,
2: I believe that you prepare for any and everything. But I just kept it basic. We kept it basic in training. And then I seen what kind of jab Kovalev had. So I said, with a jab like that, you don't need nothing else. <laughs> and, you know, the great Ray himself told me one day in 1989, he says, buddy, I had about four world champions, and all they had was a left jab. I educated their left hand. I'm like, this guy has a great left hand. And then one day, Sergey sent me a video of one of his amateur fights. And he was losing after the first round, but then he started using his jab, coming back, landing his straight right hand. I'm like, that's all you got to do. Keep it basic, but perfect it. And that's all I did. Wow. Well, mean, in training, I would make him some rounds, only throw left jab, nothing else. Right. I mean, on the heavy bag rounds, nothing else, just jabs. Everything else is going to follow. He knows how to fight.
3: Right. Right.
2: So you keep, you keep it. Listen. Take away, take away Floyd Mayweather's shoulder roll, which has been around a hundred years. What right. does Floyd do that special?
1: Right, right, right. I mean, he's got the pull and counter, and he's he's got quick hands.
2: (laughs) But other than that, he he perfected the basics.
1: Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he
2: perfected it. You know what I mean? The guys today, some of these trainers today try to reinvent the wheel. It's like homeboy. At the end of the day, you see the jab right hand left hook, jab right hand uppercut. What else is there?
1: (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know it's funny because uh, it's funny because uh, you know your, your training and advice in the corner has evolved over the years, and I, I want to get into that, but uh, we'll get into that later. But let's talk about Kovalev a little more. Um, yeah, your, your advice during the fight, it was you know it, you're right. I mean, you got him to relax. It seemed like, and you're just telling him, you know, don't struggle in the clinches. And I mean, you really did no. a great great job in the corner of just keeping him composed and, and, and focused. And uh, thank you. You know, and I, I know Sergey had complained in the past that he'd overtrained and he would left it in the gym. And the ESPN crew said something pretty interesting. I thought during the broadcast, they were like, they said that you know you noticed that he gets sharper earlier in camp. So explain that a little yeah. bit, like like how how maybe some fighters peak quicker than others in camp.
2: You know, when was when did he was sparring, and it was like three and a half weeks out. And I'm looking at him, he's working, he's sparring. I'm like, we still got three and a half weeks, man.
0: Mm.
2: I said, look, man, go home and I'll see you on Monday. And he looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, what are you talking about, buddy? I said, listen, man, we still got three weeks. If you throw a accommodation like that now, what are we going to do for the next three weeks? (laughs) You know, I've learned from a lot of old traders that you have to know your fighter. You gotta watch him every day. Study his movements. This way you know if he's speaking too soon. This way you know if he's shot. <laughs> right,
0: right. This way
2: right. you know you know what I mean? this way you know if he's doing the right thing So no, I, I look I look at their reaction to punches. Mm. To let me know okay, this is where we at right now. And this one day, I don't know what was in what it got into him. But well, he was like throwing four or five punch combinations. I'm like, hold on, man. He goes, well, why do you want me to go home? I said, Don't do another exercise. Take your gloves off and go home. Mm. And he's like, Well, can I hit the no, I said, Don't do anything. <laughs> I said, Don't come to the gym tomorrow.
0: Mm. Wow. And
2: well, so, you know, I'm like I'm like forty minutes from Oxlack where we'll we train. I drove down there to make sure he didn't show his ass about the gym. He didn't show up.
1: Cool.
2: I mean, so, you know, you just, you know, a, a lot of stuff I've learned, Kurt, from the old trainers, man, you know. A lot of these guys say they don't give those old trainers their props. Right. But those guys, they don't get no better than that. You don't get no better than Ray R. Uh, uh, Eddie Fudge. George Benton, Bowie Fisher. Um, is this? I mean, so many of the older guys that really, really don't get. You know, Eddie Fudge. You know, I spent one day. No lie, before two weeks before he died, I spent three hours, three hours talking to him.
0: Mm, mm. Just
2: picking his brain. We was in um, Richard Steele's gym in Las Vegas.
1: Wow, wish three I
2: was. I, pick, I picked his brain.
1: Wish I wish I'd have been a fly on the wall for that one, man. I bet that would have been awesome. I
2: yeah, mean, it was it was it was you know, man. I learned so much, man. And then talking with him and talking with Georgie Benton, mm. just you know, a lot of stuff they said always stuck in my head. Right. I mean, so right. you know, and when I, one day when I was in the gym talking with Eddie Futch, a lot of other trainers said to me, "Look, man, the game is over. He's washed up." I said, "Let me tell you guys something, man." But he forgot you guys haven't learned yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I said so you guys should you guys should be sitting there with me picking his brains. Right. Man, he's old school, he's just that's the best school. Right. The old school's the best school. You guys today everybody wants to do this, do that, do this, do that. None of that shit don't work if you don't have the basics down pat. Right. I mean, I don't care who you are. <sighs> So, and then I learned from them how to beat Roy Jones.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: I mean, Georgie Benton said to me, buddy, I don't care how fast a guy is. He cannot punch and block punches at the same time. Mm. So if he's throwing a combination, how the hell is he going to block something coming back at him? Wow. He goes, Roy is so fast. That way, if you like, study Roy, when Roy throws a right hand, if he missed the right hand, he's going in that direction.
3: Right, right.
2: That's his escape. That's his offense and his defense. If he hits you with the right hand, he's going to come back with something. But if he miss, he's just going to continue to go to his left, then turn around and hit you with four or five punches. Hmm. So I told Antonio, he, he's not throwing straight right hands. I said, so when he throws the right hand, throw a right hook, that's gonna keep him. He ain't gonna go that way no more. Right. And in the first fight, I'll never forget Roy was jabbing and he was throwing a wide right hand at his gut. So I said Antonio, did that punch bother you? He said no. I said, Okay. Next time he throws it, I told him this in the rematch. Come down the middle with a left hand. Mm. Can't miss him. If you miss him, there's the problem.
3: Right, right, right.
2: You know what I mean? And and then Eddie Futch told me that you have to offset Roy's rhythm. Got offset his rhythm. I mean these guys man, see, these guys were geniuses, man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
2: they were damn men. They were geniuses. So, if I can't learn from these guys, who am I gonna learn from?
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember Futch uh Futch basically uh set the game. I mean, he he was he was Ali's kryptonite because uh you know with he, he kind of came up with the the game plan for Frazier and 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 also uh, Norton and again Norton, Norton was very similar to what uh, Georgie Benton told he told uh, Norton to you know cuz Ali pulls back so you got you can't hit him so you got to punch punch at the he's, same time he's punching you know you got to punch with him
2: Eddie Futch said to Ken Norton Ali doesn't throw left hooks so keep your right hand in front of you he's a jabber when he jabs, you jab with him. Right. He beat Ali with two good, two different guys that had two different styles.
1: Right, right.
2: You know what he, I mean? So
1: Yeah,
3: Eddie Fudge,
2: strategy, I mean,
1: Probably one of the best... I mean, if not the the best trainer, then certainly in, in the top two or three.
2: <laughs> okay, listen. People say, buddy, you know you found the, the 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 secret to Roy Jones. No. Eddie Fudge found it in the first fight with Montel Griffin and Roy
0: Jones. Mm. Mm.
2: That Montel Griffin just lost focus for a split second. Right. But you remember that first fight with Roy Jones? He was giving Roy hell.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: He was giving Roy a lot of trouble, but then he lost focus for one second. Yeah. And Roy, Roy, Roy capitalized on it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But
2: the first fight, he was, you know, Roy make a move, Montel make a move. He was offsetting his rhythm. And he said, You got to offset his rhythm, buddy.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Roy, That's why I. Re- go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was going to say, Roy Roy even says that he's a rhythm fighter. You know, he's totally a rhythm fighter. So that's great advice.
2: That's why I respect uh, Robert Garcia.
0: Because
2: hmm. he's taking guys that had limited skills to that next level. Yes. Think about it, my dana, whatever. When well, that guy can't fight,
0: <laughs>
2: anybody else trains him. Let's be realistic. Anybody else trains him, he's not as successful as he was.
1: Yeah, well, shit. He almost he, he almost got Jose Cito Lopez to knock out Keith Thurman. That's pretty damn fucking good. There you go.
2: <laughs> so you know, so you know. I mean, the guy, him and his dad. They, you know, they know their shit. I give them their props. Right. No, I give him and his dad. There, you know, I was in camp with his dad with Fernando Vargas. His father knows the stuff, man. I call him Papa G. Papa G knows the stuff.
3: Right,
1: right.
2: But you see how Robert's doing it? He's getting it from the old generation.
1: Absolutely. Well, shit, Eddie Futch used to spar spar with Joe Lewis, so shit. I mean, you you talk about, you know, history and and great fighters and, you know, being around greatness. I mean, Eddie got a personal lesson from Joe Lewis on how to, to, you know, stay out of trouble and not get knocked out, you know, and offset power and and all that, you know. So he knows what (laughs) he speaks.
2: Eddie Futch said he told Chappie Blackburn, he's a heavyweight, I'm a lightweight. He said Chappie told him don't get hit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> him, don't get hit You know what I mean? So
2: These guys were geniuses man You know
1: Absolutely Have you ever
2: seen the fight The fight with um Georgie Benton And Hurricane Carter In Madison Square Garden Georgie Benton took the fight On like a week or two notice Carter was throwing punches at him and Georgie was on the ropes doing the shoulder rope. He just tucked his chin. Hurricane Carter threw 10 punches and missed 12.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ben Ben was, uh, I mean, yeah, you, I mean,
2: <clears throat> I go did back. You the, did you do the math on that? Did you do the math on what I <laughs> just said?
1: And Cardiac. He I threw mean...
2: 10 and missed 12. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: That's Georgie Benton. That's Georgie Benton. I mean, when I look back at those fights and just look at like the foot feints, the head feints, just the real subtle stuff that those guys had. You're just like, man, that's missing today.
2: <laughs> it was. It was. Let me tell you, I tell everybody this story. When I first turned club. as a matter of fact, you want to hear something crazy? I had my first pro fight 37 years ago today.
1: Oh, is that? That's right. It was in. Uh, it was what was it? It was March, right? You did turn pro. Yeah, in March
2: second, nineteen eighty-two, North Bergen, New Jersey.
1: That's right. Holy smokes! Wow, wow, yeah. Yeah.
2: So there was a the guy that my trainer, Don Emmerolso, was training. His name was David Brown. God bless him. He's dead now. He was out of Elizabeth. His name was David Brown. He's a featherweight, and he had just fought Patrick Ford to a draw.
1: Oh, wow. He
2: came into the gym one day and he said to me, hey, Shorty, I'm going to spoil you. So I looked at him like that. I'm like, I heard him. I said, like, you think so? I said, yeah. He said, okay, glove up. <laughs> the guy gloved up, came out, got in the ring, and he took a quarter and put it on the floor. He goes, Shorty, I'm going to stand on this quarter. And you could throw anything you want at me as hard as you could. You're not going to hit me with nothing. <laughs> he said, the only thing you might hit me with is a jab. He said, with your left hook and your right hand, you can shove up your ass. You're not hitting me with that. <laughs> and let me tell you, the only thing I did hit him with was a jab. Everything else missed.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: He kept his left hand low. He kept his left hand low. And I was shooting that right hand, man. He was getting under, and then he hit me. Wow. Like shit, and he was—he was he would yell time, and he said, "Look down, I'm still standing on the quarter."
0: <laughs> oh, that shit? Oh,
2: shit, I could not believe it. I got my ass up with a man standing in one spot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, that's... you know, I
2: was young. You know, I was knocking people out. I'm like, shit, I'm gonna hurt this little guy. Just <laughs> sure he ain't gonna hit me. But let me tell you, couldn't touch him. But I learned. I learned from him, man. You know, he just that day taught me so much. And it was like you're not gonna lock everybody out, man.
3: Right, right.
2: I mean, everybody's not gonna go, so you got to set. He told me you got to relax, shorty, and set shit up. I mean, he would spin me, hit me with like three or four punches, but five. I thought I was surrounded. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was getting mad.
0: <laughs>
2: Couldn't touch him, man. The man was a genius. He, unfortunately, he got killed, but. Mm. You know what I mean? And a lot of people never heard of him, but this guy was unbelievable, man. Wow. He was unbelievable, man. David Brown, i never forget. I was like, Shh. I, w- I was on the train going home like, how the hell did that happen today? <laughs> but I learned. I learned from him, man. I learned. I learned. And, you know, those experiences that, you know, people, some people will admit it, some won't. You know, and, you know I tell people when I fought Sal Manby, I hit him with a right hand. I hurt him. I went in for the kill. He hit me in the liver. I pissed on
0: myself. Mm.
2: Got in the clinch. He said, slow down, young man. (laughs) I said, no problem. (laughs) 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 My liver shot hurt like hell.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah, man, he fought everybody.
2: Yeah, slow down, young man. I said, no problem, sir. You got it. He's letting me know you're gonna get the win, but not like how you
1: want. Right, 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 right. You
3: ain't knocking me
2: out, young fella. <laughs> and you believe you believe two years later he beat Glenwood Brown at forty one years old?
1: I know, man. Mamby was unbelievable. Didn't he fight till he was about fifty? I mean that that dude was just
2: Yeah, just, yeah.
1: And that's just and a guy who, you know, wasn't a big hitter, you know, uh, didn't look like much when you looked at him, but damn, smart just a really, really smart, intelligent fighter, man. Really smart Uh,
0: fighter. You
2: know, people ask me, who was the best fighter? I tell people, Sal Mammy was the smartest. Right. But Pennell, thanks to Georgie Benton, was the best. Because Georgie said Pennell was his masterpiece. And they told me after the first fight, you almost ruined my masterpiece.
1: <laughs> well, hold up, hold up, all hold right. up, hold up, man. We're gonna get to all that. We're gonna get to all that. But let's. I'm uh, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you back down to, 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 to. I want to ask a few more questions about the guys you're handling. You're handling. Then we're we'll gonna get to your career. Okay. But uh, so with Sergey, what, what do you see, uh, Sergey uh, Kovalev? What do you see uh, next for him? I mean, the light heavyweight division is popping now. You've got. <clears throat> You got a uh, well, they have the same manager, so that that might not be next. But you know, you got Bivol who's fighting pretty soon. You know, undefeated champ Vosdek's an undefeated champ. Better what Bivol.
2: What do you think about Bivol? We think about Bivol who's getting ready to fight uh Joe Smith? What do you think about that fight?
1: You know, it, it's crazy with Bivol because to me, I consider him a prospect still, and 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 he's a world champ. He's like learning as he goes. You uh, know
2: it done on-the-job training.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they moved him really fast. I mean, he's he's talented for sure, and he and he hits hard. But you can see that you know they jumped him up, and now he's not knocking everybody out. So, um, you know, we'll see how he how, if he if he slugs it out with Joe Smith, that could get interesting because <laughs> Smith can hit.
2: Yeah, he can punch.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think B is too skilled for him. You know, probably should stop him, but but. Could get interesting if if Smith can uh, can nail him with something, right? But uh, and you got that kid from England too, Anthony, Anthony Yard, who uh, Frank I mean Frank Warren's got him. So Frank's not going to let him fight anybody till he, he he thinks he's ready. So even though a guys like the number one contender, he's been number one contender for like a year. But I mean Warren is 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 I, very smart with his guys. So so we'll see. I was
2: saying that kid Yard, I never heard of him, but can he fight?
1: Um, you know, I mean, he looks like he can fight, but you don't know till he steps up. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I haven't seen him really fight a a top 25 guy yet. I mean, the guys he's been in there with, he's, he's mowing down, but he hasn't been in there with anybody, you know, who's, who's, you know, top level. So it's hard to say.
2: He hasn't stepped up to the the plate yet?
1: Mm -mm, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not at all. okay. Gotcha. Not at all. Any talk about uh, who Sergey's going to fight next, or is he just chilling right now?
2: Nah, you know what? Nothing's been said, so I, I couldn't even tell you to be honest.
1: I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, speaking of Sergey's, let's talk about uh, Sergey Lipinets. So, you, you still working with uh with him?
2: No, I'm not working with him. No, no. Oh, you're not working with no, him? No. Okay.
1: okay. 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 No,
2: no. Okay.
1: So, you're working with uh, John Abec, though. John Abec, uh, was it Lim yeah. Canuli?
0: Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no a clue. long
1: ass last name, man. A long ass last yeah. name. But he's I mean, he's, you know, former amateur world champ, two thousand sixteen Olympian. Um, and they definitely have not been babying him. Holy shit. I mean he's like five and zero. Nah. he's already fought uh Vaughn Alexander and Stevie Martinez. So uh how how's he adjusting to the pros? How, and how is it to work with him?
2: You know what? I think the the Alexander fight really gave him a whole different outlook on what what to expect. Right. I mean, cause Vaughn. I mean, Vaughn surprised me. I mean, I mean, Vaughn was was trying to get his ass out of there. I mean, and he, he hit Vaughn with some good shots. When I mean, he hit Vaughn, Vaughn to come right back.
1: Yeah, Vaughn's tough. So
2: I thought that was- yeah, so that's a tough fight.
1: That was a good win for him. Absolutely.
2: No, I think so. So you know, right now he's fighting uh, April twelfth.
1: Who I don't know. Okay, okay, but he's definitely a good-looking kid. Definitely. Uh, yeah. A lot of promise. He's only twenty-five too. That's why I'm surprised they're they're putting him in tough. So tough. So early, yeah, but
0: he's a, he's a
1: baby. Yeah, he'll be good. He'll be good. Well, let's get, into, let's get into your Hall of Fame career, man. And uh, you've got so many great fights, so many great stories. But let's, let's get into your background. You grew up in uh, Brentwood, Long Island. What was it like uh, growing yes, up there?
0: <laughs>
2: it was great. It, to me, it was the greatest place in the world to grow up, man. I've learned. I mean, it's taught being there, going up there in my neighborhood, seeing the stuff that I've seen and experiencing stuff. It's helped me be prepared for when I was able to travel out of the country. I'm like, yo, I mean, you see, I've seen all this as a youngster. So it helped me adapt well, no matter where I went. Right. You know, because, you know, we had, we had a little bit of everybody. You know what I mean? But everybody was cool with each other. You know, as a kid, you know, I mean, you know, you had the dope fiends. You had the alcoholics. You had all that. But they were the coolest guys in the world, man. I mean, they were cool. They would come to my amateur fights, drunk as hell. But they always showed support, yelling and screaming, you know what I mean? But I, I mean, I loved it because no matter what I did in the neighborhood, if I was hanging out somewhere I had no business, they would tell me I had to leave. I couldn't be there. mm. They say, because of my brother, everyone knew my brother and my dad. And they say, yo, man, we're going to let your brother know you're here. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You're going to kick my butt. They say, well, you got to go. Mm. Mm. And I would leave. You know what I mean? I mean, in the summertime, we used to have DJs in the park. DJ be in the park. And, you know, you're in the park trying to get your freak on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dancing and everything. It was fun, man. It was a whole lot of fun, man. And my brother's friends were see me and they say, man, your brother know you're out here, man? I'm mm. like, I said, look, man, I don't have to, because I had a curfew. I had to be on by 11. I said, look, man, it's not, it's not my curfew. They said, we don't care about your curfew. You cannot be here.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: Your brother told us, if we see you anywhere, you don't belong, to let him know. So how do you want to do this? I'll be like shit. I get on my bike and ride my bike home. <laughs> but I thank them. To now, I thank them that I'm older. I mean, I realize that they were really basically just keeping me out of the, out, out of trouble.
1: Right, saving you a few headaches. You
0: know
2: what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. So they, you know, they 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 were great, and I love them for it. I thank them, man. And I mean, I miss those guys. And you know, when I go back to the neighborhood, they're not around anymore. Mm. Mm. I mean, but those guys, man, they were, they were something else, man, you know. And, uh, you know, um, when I became champ, you know, they were all there. You know, I mean, the ones that were live, you know, they were there and we hung out and I'd buy them some, whatever they drank and I'd just sit there and listen to war stories that they used to tell me, which I knew was half bullshit, but it was fun, man. <laughs>
0: it
2: was fun, man. It was It was great. I mean, and a lot of them still... Looked out for my mom. It's about my mom's house, check on her, make sure she was all right, cut her grass. You know, I mean, Brentwood was, to me, was great, man. You know, it was multicultural, black, white, everybody, Puerto Rico, everybody lived together. That's great. So when I when I would go places and people were like, yo, man, you know, like when I would go to Florida and visit my cousins, they're I mean, like, no, nah, you can't go in that store. I'm like, why not? No, no, no. No, nah, the white man says, we can't come in there. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, it's not like that in New York. I'm like, hell no. Nah, man, listen, just like we would borrow sugar from the white people, they would borrow sugar from us.
3: Right. <laughs> you know
2: what I mean? right, right. So it's, I said, it wasn't, it wasn't, you're better than me and I'm better than you. I said we all got along. That's why I'm glad I grew up in New York, period. Right.
3: Absolutely. You know I
2: mean, but you go to certain states and it's like, are you serious right now? Yeah. Uh, and people look at me like you didn't experience that in New York? I like, mean, look, you're gonna experience anywhere you go. But in New York, hell no. Everyone caught the subway. You know Kurt, you travel it.
1: Absolutely. You know what absolutely. I mean,
2: you know what I mean? And, and back in the seventies where I had corporate Long Island, man, we, we didn't have all that. And one day a kid called me the N word and I punched him in the face.
0: Mm.
2: I got home and my mother said, Okay, now your dumb ass is suspended for five days. Why? And so my mom called me. My mom said, "Okay, so you lose five days of school because of that." Hmm. She said, "Next week you're know, we going to be playing on the playground together in school." Right. I'm like, "Nah, mom." She said, "Okay, watch well, and see." Sure enough, we was at a kickball tournament, and man, the guy was on the same team. <laughs> it's like shit, man. You know, so you know, you know, growing up there, man, was. I, I mean, I loved it, man. I, I, I really, really loved it. I mean, and it has taught me so much. When I traveled the world, I was used to it. You know, I was used to whatever came my way, whether it was a drug dealer or a drug user or an alcoholic or a wannabe tough guy or a mugger. New York prepared me for that. Right. I mean, when I go to places now, people say, you're from New York, you? I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> How did you notice? You just got that attitude, and you're loud, and you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? Got that swipe. You know what I mean,
2: but growing up in, in Brentwood, man, I you know now it's not the same anymore, man. They got the MS13 there, man. Mm. They're killing people left and right, man. Wow. They're killing. They're killing young kids, man.
1: Mm. They're
2: killing young kids, you know, teenagers, man. It, it's a shame. They're lucky the old school guys ain't around no more.
0: Hmm.
2: Cause that wouldn't have happened. And when that that would have taken place, some old school guys didn't tolerate that. The right. gangs and all that. nah, you couldn't come in Brentwood. You couldn't come to Brentwood with that gangster.
3: Right. And you could probably
2: go to other towns, but in Brentwood, nah, it wasn't happening. The old timers would to get together, and jump your ass. You know what I mean? Right. Hmm. We didn't have gangs in Brentwood. Other, you know, some other towns around us had little gangs, but in Brentwood, nah, man, we didn't. They didn't play that. You couldn't come to Brooklyn with a gang. Yeah, you are okay. You wake up the next day, fifty guys waiting for you outside.
1: (laughs) We got your gang.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean, yeah, man. You know, you know, and then you know, I knew the hangout spots, man. It was when I would go there. You know, my dad would be there hanging out. You know what I mean? And funny story, man. You're not gonna believe this, but you can't make this up, man. They had a taxi place in Brentwood. It was called Main Taxi, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It was owned by an old white guy named Max, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Inside Main Taxi, there was card games and dice games going on. So, if you call the cab for Main Taxi, "Send me the cab," boom, you never knew who was gonna pick you up.
0: It was whoever
2: wasn't the drunkest who was gonna pick you
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> Half of the guys didn't have a license,
2: but <laughs> 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 they would pick you up, man, and drive you to pass wherever you had to go. <laughs> And that's how you you could just have they'd be in the car drunk sleep when you come out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So funny, man. And inside
2: inside, inside inside was the best crap games you ever wanted to see. (laughs) It was and the cops were parked across the street.
0: Hmm.
2: And the cops knew they were shooting dice there, but they left them alone. They didn't bother them. Hmm. (laughs) They went there shooting dice and drinking. You get a call, someone will come out. You didn't know who was up. Uh, one day, my father was driving the cab. I said, Dad, you ain't got no license.
0: He said, they don't know that. <laughs> 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 my father said, they don't know that. I
2: said, but Dad, you've been drinking. He said, they don't know that either. I'm like, that they know that. I mean, and it was just, man, it was, it was, but those were the best times, man. 'Cause you knew what you call main taxes, you'd if they said fifteen minutes, that means thirty
0: minutes.
2: <laughs> and you know whoever picked you up nine times out of ten didn't have a license, seven times out of ten they were drunk. <laughs> but I will say this though. You got from point A to point B and back home.
3: Right. Right. Right.
2: I mean there was never no complaints about main Taxi. None. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But <laughs> well, you knew you knew what you were getting yourself into with, with, with Maine. But yes, yeah,
2: yeah. So he said, I'm, "I want a cab." Well, damn, I gotta call Maine taxes. Shit, and they call. You know what I mean, you didn't know who's gonna answer the phone. So, and, and then when I was like twelve, thirteen, my dad—that was his hangout.
0: Mm.
2: After work, he would hang out there. So on Fridays after school, I would go home and. Get my clothes because I to spend the weekends with my dad, but shit, half of it, when I get to main taxi by four o'clock, I was there at nine ten o'clock at night. And my father be that gambler. There was times I would be answering the phone in main Taxi
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That is crazy. Cause
2: everybody would shoot dice. Everybody would shoot dice, man. <laughs> I mean, but it, but, it, but you know what though? As a you, know, it was fun,
3: right. Right. It was a
2: great experience, man. It was, nobody was, uh, like I said, you know, you might get two guys up be fighting over a nice game. They'll fight for 10 minutes, then they come back inside, and they'll be drinking together.
3: Right, 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 I right. I mean,
2: that's how it was. I mean, then we had a store called Mike's Store. was a little short old white guy owned it. Hmm. Now, but behind Max, behind Mike's Store was a tree where everybody hung out under the tree, because it was a big tree with nothing but shade.
0: 24
2: hours a day. Mm. So my mother was like, your father's at the tree. He knew where to go. (laughs) (laughs) And it was next door to Main Taxi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that was the spot right there. You know, by Main... Main Taxi was
2: the spot. Main Taxi in in the Placita.
1: The placita, wow! And the
2: placita, believe it or not, the placita is still there. That store is still there. Wow! The La Placita—that's where—that's where everybody hung out.
1: <laughs> well, you're talking about when you're 12, 13 years old. So you started boxing when you on, on your 12th birthday, right? 1976. Yes, yeah, right?
2: January 17th, I started on my birthday.
1: So tell people how you got started yeah. boxing.
2: I was playing I, was, I played football, little league football, and. They used to have trouble finding a helmet to fit my head. <laughs> like, I had, to, I, had to, I had to take off my helmet like every other place. I was getting headaches. <laughs> the just my head was too big for a twelve year old.
1: <laughs> Did you tell me they used to call you? Oh, oh. They used to call you headquarters and head games.
2: Yeah, my brother, my brother Mike used to call me headquarters. <laughs> so, so, so one day I was at the rec center. It was called. It was called the Brentwood Rec. Upstairs, they had, like, basketball. Everybody would play basketball there, especially in the wintertime. Downstairs, they had weightlifting, and they had uh, professional boxing, not amateurs. So guys like Georgia Ficaris, Patty Dolan, Vito Antifermo, they'd be there boxing. And I used to sit there and watch them. But I thought it was going to be a weightlifter, but I only weighed, like, 60 pounds. I thought it was going to be a weightlifter. (laughs) So, you know, and there's an old man, his name was Bill. He ran the program. So one day, you know, one of the guys, the trainer, the coach, Gene Moore, they said, uh, when are you going to have boxing for kids? And he goes, next week, next Saturday, but you got to be 12 years old. I said, next Saturday, that's my birthday. Wow. This is where old are you going to be? I said, I said, 12. He said, well, get in at 12 o'clock. So I went home, I told my mother, she said, you can go, but, you know, I was raised Catholic, so, I had to go to religion first. The mm. mom said, You go to religion and then you walk from the church to the wreck and you can join So I uh, went to my mother taught me at St. Anne's Church. Religion was over at eleven thirty and I walked. I walked to the wreck. The rest of history. <laughs> so I heard so then I was playing
1: for I was gonna say I heard you had your first amateur fight one month after you started <laughs> boxing at uh... February,
2: February twenty first. Right, I for fought, I the fought kid named Ricky Randazzo, and it was a smoker show. And my first amateur fight was like my first pro fight, a draw. <laughs> you might be with problem, the Robert, Ricky you might be Go the ahead. only,
1: you might be only the only fighter in the Hall of Fame or any fighter that I've heard of who started both his amateur and pro careers with a draw.
2: <laughs> yeah, started both fights. for Ricky Randazzo, who's from Center Reach, New Island. But here's the funny part: two weeks before the fight, we sparred each other for a whole week.
1: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> no wonder it was a draw.
2: <laughs> so, but it was a fight that we was getting down, Jack. We we was, I walked home with my hand wraps on you know I mean and uh, so the following year I was playing football and I got hurt on the football field and like the third play of the game so the coach was like you know put ice on it but it was like freaking 10 degrees outside I'm like put ice like yeah put ice on your hand keep the swelling down so you know I was 13 at the time now, you know, I've been boxing for a year and I'm like this guy's out of his damn mind. I'm not putting this cold-ass thing on my hands. It's already cold out here. <laughs> so I said, buddy, you can be in a warm boxing gym right now. You don't have to be out here and it's cold. So I kept telling myself, you know, go home. Right. Football, is, they can't find a helmet to fit your head. Football is not here. <laughs> so at halftime, the coach Everybody was going to sit in the in the, uh, in the thing. And I gave the coach my helmet, my shoulder pads. I said I bring the rest of this shit on Monday, and I walked home. Mm. <laughs> so I, I walked in the house. My mother said the game's over already. I said, Ma, look at my hand." She said, "Okay, the hand is messed up, but what the hell are you doing on?" Mm. I said, my I, I couldn't take it no more. I couldn't take the call. I'm, I'm just gonna stick the box." You know I mean, wow. and what did my mother do when they got home? Like, all oh, the old-fashioned people. She stuck my hand in hot water with essence salt. So. Mm. <laughs> you
0: know
2: what I mean? You know the I mean? coach was telling me to keep ice. I'm like, Mom, my hand is black and blue. You know, the coach had me put ice on it. I said I couldn't take it no more. So I walked my ass home from the game, and the rest is history. <laughs> all right. And my brothers my brother Mike used to call me headquarters. <laughs>
1: Oh man. So you you so you box for like 6 years as an amateur and 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 eventually uh you uh ended up going pro in in, in March of uh, 1982. Uh you turned pro as a wel- as a welterweight um and you you debuted in uh, North Bergen against uh, the unbeaten local star there uh, Lamont Haith Coach They they threw you threw you in a tough one in in your debut. So talk talk about that. That fight and turn a pro.
2: They they called me a week before the fight. Mm. I was a senior in high school. So they called me a week before the fight and Lou Caravella, called me, and said, buddy, got your fight, kid. Yeah, he goes, Yeah. I said, When? He said, Next week. I said, That's a Tuesday. He said, Yeah. He says, But don't worry, we gotta go to Jersey this week and meet the the promoter. I said, not no problem. I said, how much am I getting? He said, 200 bucks. So I was like, oh, $200? And I said, shit, hell yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking $200 is a lot of money. So we go. We be that's when I first met out of him. Right. God bless him, you know. But he was a chain smoker. Mm. So his tailor shop was full of smoke. And he's cursing this one out. I'm like, wait a minute, man. He's got the nut job.
1: <laughs> you were right about that, but so go he went, ahead. <laughs>
2: yeah. So we went to dinner, and he was cursing the whole time. He said, hey, Kate, can you take a punch, Kate? I said, I don't know. I never want to find out. <laughs> so we went for it, and um, after that, my girlfriend told me she was pregnant. Oh, wow. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so...
2: So my two hundred bucks went quick. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a lot of money, but it went quick. Right. So then, um, uh, my manager Stewie saw Dom and invitation that
0: night.
2: He had five guys fight. The only guy that didn't win was the guy that fought me. Hmm. Because I want that guy to train you. So we drove to Hoboken. they was training at Hoboken at the time. We drove to Hoboken and I walked in the gym and I watched. And, you know, coming from Brentwood, now you go to Hoboken, the gym is packed. Mm. And they had Nino Gonzalez in there, Tim Brody. Everybody was there. It was packed, man. And I, I'm looking around. I'm like, shit. I mean, I'm like, do I really want to do this. So I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm talking to myself while I'm in the crowded gym. And uh, the old man said, I love to train the kid, but he's got to come here every day. Whew. So Stuart said, no problem. I'm looking at him like, what do you mean, no problem, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're coming from Long Island to, to, to Hoboken. Holy so shit.
2: <laughs> he said, uh, he goes, I'm going to tell you where the path train is. And you walk from the PATH train to the gym. You take the PATH train in Manhattan on 33rd Street. I said, okay. So Stewie, you know, Stewie drove me to the PATH station, showed me where it was. And he drove me to Manhattan and found the PATH station. It was on the Macy's. Right. Stewie said, okay, so now you got to take the Long Island Railroad here. I'm like, what? I said, i never taken no damn train. Will you take one now? <laughs> and uh, so my, my shop teacher
0: in high school
2: <coughs> used to let me get leave early to go catch the train. Oh wow. I mean, so I would catch the twelve twenty seven train, get to the gym by three o'clock, and then after that I would I mean, get come back to Manhattan and catch the the Long Island Railroad. Back to Brentwood, which would gave me at eight thirty wow, so-, so I you know and then uh then after the first year, we moved to to the gym and to the finals in Jersey City, which is like a mile and a half walk from the from path train to the gym, and I did that shit every day for six years, man
1: that is insane. That's insane.
2: Rain, rain sleep, or snow.
1: <laughs> so who
2: ended One up... Day the train... Go ahead. Uh, went down the train. It was snowing bad. February 83. And my mom said, do not get on that train, boy." I said, I got to get to the gym. I'm fighting. And I got on the train, and we went Brentwood Deer Park, Wineback's. And that's where the train stayed for seven hours.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: Jesus,
2: I sat there for seven hours on the train. Damn. And then the train went back to
1: Brentwood. <laughs> wow, wow, that is effed up, man. Hey, who who trained you there? Was was it was it Al who trained you, Al Certo? or who trained you no. in, in 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 Jersey?
2: Dominic Amoroso.
1: Dominic Amoroso. Okay. Told me,
2: every, me everything I know. Hmm.
1: So how many years did he train you?
2: Dominic trained me from 1982 to 1986.
1: Okay,
3: okay. Right
2: before my first, I was undefeated with Dominic. Right,
3: right. Right.
2: Then my first big fight with uh, Frankie Warren on NBC.
3: Right, right.
2: Then Al came in and then him and Dominic had a big argument. And I had this old mafia guy come up to the gym to show me a move, right?
0: Mm.
2: So he keeps showing me the move, and he was hitting me. But I didn't know he was a mafia guy. He was the boss, Johnny Cagillio. Mm. So I said, Dominic, nigga, this motherfucker hits me one more time. I am going to punch him in his fucking face. Right? Dominic said, let me talk to you, kid. So he took me, he called me out of the ring, he took me to the side, goes, kid, just listen to the man. I'm like, Dominic. I said, this motherfucker keeps punching me, man. Right. He goes, buddy, if you say anything wrong to the guy, it's going to give Al a lot of trouble. Hmm. said, the guy is a mob boss.
0: Hmm.
2: I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a police. Yes. I said, like right, Dominic. So then after that, Al and Dominic had a falling out. Oh, wow. But, but I would say this, though. Dominic would be in the gym every day while I trained. and sit in the corner just watch me and nod if I was doing something right or if I was doing something wrong. Mm. But he was in that gym every day to 1995. Wow. He was in that gym every day. I used to say, I'll give Dominic some money because Dominic wouldn't take the money from me.
0: Mm.
2: But Dominic had his pride. But he loved the horses. <laughs>
0: he
2: had his pride. So I said, Al, I said, look, give Dominic some money, I him every fight, I said let's give him something out. I mean, I love Dominic. I love him. Wow. Whenever a guy would come to Al to train him, I said, Al, give the fighter to Dominic. If he lasts two weeks for Dominic, he's okay. Right. Not one guy has lasted not one guy lasted two weeks for him.
0: <laughs> wow so
2: Dominic was old school. He used to smoke a cigarette right next to me when I hit the heavy bag. (laughs) And I better not say anything about the fucking (laughs) cigarette (laughs) smoke. He was, he was, the man was a genius. I got to give it to you. The man was a fucking genius. Hmm. The he taught me so much.
1: It's interesting because you know you you talk about old school and the old school trainers and the the old school guys who uh, who you were, got hooked up with early in your career. Like the pacing of your your early career was was kind of uh, an anomaly for a modern fighter. I mean, you were really busy. They kept you busy. I mean, you had like you know six seven fights for the first you know six six or so years of your career. I mean, was that was that Al was that Al Sertos kind of old school management and you know was yes. that.
2: I mean, and my manager, Stuart, you know, he was like, look, we got to keep the kid busy. I mean, then I had, a, you know, I had a kid at the time, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a baby to feed.
0: Mm.
2: It's not like they were giving me a salary or right. a signing bonus. Right. I mean, they were giving me enough money to travel from point A to point B and have a few dollars in my pocket to, you know, buy pampers and shit for my son. But I wasn't getting no stipend every week or every month, No.
3: Right. You had to you fight know, for
2: 20 bucks. I had 20 bucks. 20 bucks had to last me a week, man.
0: Mm. Oh, man. I
2: used to leave my car home because I, I didn't want to put no gas. I keep my, I walk to the train station.
3: Right. Right. Wow. You know what I mean?
2: So, you know what I mean? If I needed something like Stewie, I need an extra 300. Okay, here. You know what I mean? But other than that, man, you know, I had to, I thank God for my mom. You know, she helped me because I was, you know, I was a single parent with my son. So my mom and my sister helped me, but they were like, my mother like, when you get your ass out that gym, you come straight home
3: because
2: mm. mm. this is your baby.
3: Right, right.
2: So I had, to, I had to come straight home, man. I tell everybody a story. 1983, it was snowed like going into 84. It snowed like a summer gun. And I said, I'm going out tonight. I had a hot date set up. It was New Year's Eve. I had a hot date set up.
0: And I come home and
2: I see my mother getting dressed. I'm like, Mom, where are you going? She said, I'm right out. She said, It's New Year's Eve. I'm off. I said, What about James? She said, That's your damn baby. They ain't mine.
0: <laughs> she said, she said so Whatever plans
2: you got, so whatever plans you got, you can cancel them. Oh, man. But here's, here's the kicker. She says, you better not take him out this
0: house.
2: Mm. I said, it was cold as shit outside.
0: And right. The snow was deep. Right. She said, you
2: better not take James out this house, bud. She said, because you don't know what time I'm coming back. Mm. She said, if you take him out this house, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I'm like, shit, man. So I just sat there. The ball dropped. He was in his playpen bouncing up and down. I'm looking at him like, it's some shit. <laughs> I ruined my whole plans. I had serious plans tonight. I had a serious date set up, man. And my mom was like, I ain't watching no babies tonight. <laughs> then my sister decided she wanted to sleep at her friend's house. I'm like, shit, man. So just me and James. I mean, at 1130, he fell asleep before the ball dropped. Mm. Well, but in you know, I had to cancel, I had to cancel my plans.
0: Mm. 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 Uh, but it
2: was all fun, though. you know, it taught me a lot, so, you know. Absolutely. like my mom, my mom knew, she knew I had plans.
1: Right, right.
2: But she was like, not tonight, son. <laughs>
1: <laughs> got to stay home, got to anyway. take care of your responsibilities. Yes. That's wild. You know
2: I mean, and I got, you know, while we're talking, I got to give some credit to Hector Rooker. <laughs> Hmm. You know, Hector helped me a lot. I gotta s I mean when I when I started training with Hector, people were talking trash, you know, he's a bicycle champion, he's this, he's that. But Hector I gotta say knows the shit. I gotta give it
1: to him. Wow, okay. You
2: know, Hector knows the shit. A lot of people who don't give him credit.
1: Absolutely. He does but take Hector, a lot of abuse. Hector, <laughs> yeah.
2: But he knows the shit.
0: I gotta give. It- I was his first world champion. Hmm. Mm. I mean,
2: he go, buddy. What the
1: fuck are you doing, buddy? What is that bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roca, Roca traded a couple of my guys. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it worked. It worked for a while, but he's, you know, he's 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 a rough dude, man. Eventually, they, you know, they kind of scraped up against. You know, him you know
2: and- <laughs> what it is. You have to. Adjust to his style. Right. He hadn't had moved that. You know, they said his brother was a boxer. And I think that he took a lot of stuff from him there as far as moving with the feet. He taught me a lot of shit with my feet. I, I got to give it to him. Mm. I
0: mean,
2: me and him just clicked. Right. Right. You know, we just clicked. You know, and how it clicked was I was in the heavy mm. bag in Gleason's, it was in Manhattan. And he was sitting in a chair. And he go, you got to put in your fucking hands. You're dropping your hands too much. <laughs> and bend your fucking knee. you he talking to me? He said, I'm talking to you.
0: <laughs> so then
2: Al called me one day. He goes, kid, I can't make it to Lisa this week. I said, what about this guy Hector? Don't he you like him? I said, yeah, I like him. And then the rest is history, man. Hector, you know.
1: Hector took over then. Like
2: Hector's my man. Cool. Uh, yeah, so, you know a lot of people. I mean, let me tell you, they should talk shit to me about Hector and room. Man, you fucking crazy! This guy's a fucking bicycle champion. This motherfucker don't know what he's doing. Some shit. Obviously, he does because he's helping me.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No,
2: I was thirty and one when I went to Hector.
0: Mm.
2: And when I started training with Hector, it was the first time I ever hit the mitts.
0: Oh wow!
1: Okay, the old school That's guys didn't. Fights? The old old school guys no, didn't do no. mitts. They didn't do mitts. No,
2: nah. okay. you do ten rounds on the heavy bag before ah. they
0: do mitts. I got you. If they do mitts, they can't smoke their cigarette.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Let me let me take you through a, a couple of fights. I mean, you you. Uh, you fought a ton of fights in uh, the Felt Forum coming up from like eighty three to eighty nine. You had a ton of fights. I know I know you signed um I mean I know MSG got back into promoting boxing at a certain point. I know Bobby Goodman was had you know, was was running it for him, but yeah. Did you sign a, a, a contract with those guys at some point? Like a long term deal, short term deal? I
0: signed, I
2: signed a contract with them in eighty
1: seven. Eighty seven, okay. Okay. And then another
2: one and ninety one.
1: 91. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean you fought a lot in the in the New York City area and you know, every time it, yeah. I encourage people to go go on YouTube and check out uh the those fights you had cuz you always had a great following, big turnout from uh, your your family and, and 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 fans and local fans. Uh, you always had a great following. But uh yeah, man, I mean you fought like 7 times in 82, 6 times in 83 and it it's funny on BoxRec I mean, you were about like 10-0 and 0 with a draw, and I see they were going to try and match you up with Jose the Threat Barrett at the Feld Forum, yes. but, uh, but he fell out, and you ended up fighting someone else. I mean, they definitely did not baby you.
2: <laughs> Barrett yeah, was— I'm gonna t- I fought a, guy, fought a guy Larry Fleming.
3: Right, right.
2: And I, I knocked him out with a body shot. Mm. So then they tried to make Barrett fight again. No, no, I'm lying, I'm lying. Then Barrett was going to fight somebody else, that person
1: pulled out. Guess what they called?
2: Who's that? You. Floyd Mayweather scene. Oh right, right, right. He fought
1: because after, because Starling fought him on national TV and and tore him up. Yeah. Because he was not people. I remember because in I grew up in Pennsylvania, but we used to get Madison Square Garden Network, and I remember watching him. Like they ring the bell, dude would be putting people out with like the first first or second shot he'd throw. I mean, just a heavy, heavy-handed guy. But they but then they you know they they put him in with Starling and Starling kinda whooped his ass. <laughs> you should have
0: seen what you should have
2: seen what Floyd Senior did to him. <laughs> oh my god, it was brutal. He mm. beat the
0: shit out of him. I mm. mean. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, Floyd
2: Sr.
1: beat the hell out of him in the front for him. That's right. That's right. I think I, I I saw some uh I think I saw some highlights of that on, on YouTube, yeah. So it was a good fight, though. Barrett, Barrett tried to knock his head off. But, yeah, Floyd had that yeah. that same, you know, shoulder roll and shell defense. And, you know, Barrett was just hitting a lot of arms and, and air.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But uh, yeah, man, so. but you fought, I mean, you know, guy, guys that people may not know, but like Pete Padilla, Alan Braswell, you know, Ralph Twining, uh, Willie Rodriguez, you fought some real tough, you know, Guys on the way up. You know,
2: Pepe Diaz. Pepe Diaz was a slick son of a gun. Yeah, absolutely. He was slick, but you know, he had one other thing in his favor. He had a college degree.
1: Is that right? I didn't know that. Okay.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. So when he, you know, when I beat him, he was that was it. But shit, he had a college degree. He was slick, man. I guess Larry. You know, Larry has a referee. That I would say with 15 of my fights.
1: Hmm. Great referee.
2: Yeah, and he, he refereed the people that did
0: fight.
2: Mm. And I recommend that he referee the first time with me in Yeah. I recommend that. To yeah, I said, Al, can Larry a referee to fight? He goes, what are you talking about? He's commissioned in New Jersey. I said, exactly. So he asked Bobby Goodman. Bob Goodman, I don't know what he called him, I mean I uh, Larry up and and they went catch okay to the dobers. I saw what well, I because they were complaining about the ref. So I said, let's get Larry Hazard. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> I love Larry. Larry's
1: my man, I love Larry. Ah, uh, Larry, I mean to you me know? to me, just in in fights I've watched in my lifetime, I was the best referee ever. You know, he was just always yeah. had great timing, you know, just a great, you know, command of the fights. You know, he wasn't too intrusive. But you know, he he always seemed to to stop the fights at the right time. Just a great, great, great
2: referee. You know, I think with him, you know, I mean, I love Larry for doing my fights, and, and me and Larry always talk boxing history. We always talk. And when I had uh, when I had when I had Arturo fighting Floyd, Larry walked around from his table to my corner and said, "Are you going to do it, or do I have to do it?"
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: I said, "Can we give him to the end of the round?" He said, "Okay." Right, and that's
0: when I stopped him.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll get to that fight, and I swear that that might be the most brutal fight I ever watched live. Man, that was a tough one to watch. But um, speaking of, uh, like I said, you you know, seven times you fought at eighty two, six times at eighty three, five times at eighty four, six times at eighty five, and then. Uh, they took you down to Corpus Christi, Texas to take on a little junkyard dog named uh, Frankie Warren in um, Corpus Christi. And, uh, I, and all the listeners out there, if you got YouTube, ch- look, just check that fight out. I mean, there were so many great fights in the 80s, TV fights in the afternoons. But damn, buddy, I, I hadn't watched that in a long time. Holy shit did you guys throw down in that fight. My God, that was a good fight.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, the crazy thing is, like, the first round, you boxed great. I mean, it looked like a Buddy McGirt fight. You know, you had him on a string in the first round, and then you got drawn into the into the brawl, and that was it, man. That was it. You guys, just- you know what, man? I've
2: never had nobody put no heat on me like that
0: before.
2: Mm. Yeah. That motherfucker put heat on you, man. And George Benton had him hit me everywhere. Mm. Hit me on my thighs, my hips, my kneecaps. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And he was just nonstop. stop. I was when I figured him out it was like round seven.
0: Mm.
2: But it was too late then, you know what I mean?
3: Right, right.
2: But I I got him I got him in the rematch though. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean the thing is, if if they had punch stats back then, I mean he must have thrown like about two hundred punches around. <laughs> it seemed like that anyway. Oh man. Uh, his volume he, he was, was insane.
2: I mean, I still have nightmares about that guy, man. <laughs> but I tell you what,
1: though, buddy you you got your pound of flesh too. I mean, I, honestly, I I doubt that Warren was the same after that fight. Because man, you dug in, and some no. of those some of those hooks to the body you were landing, I was like, how in the hell did Warren take those? Man, you must have hit him in the liver like ten times with just a wicked hooks. I don't know how he took that. Listen,
2: man One round after after I knocked him down the eighth round, I said, I I got him. Right. Came back. But you know, when I knew I had him in the 10th round, I pushed him a little bit after the referee said break.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: pushed him, and I saw his legs were unsteady. I said, I got his ass now.
1: <laughs> this is the rematch we're I talking said, got about. Him. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah the rematch. I said, yeah. I, got, I got his ass now. <laughs> the first fight, listen, here's a funny story I tell people. After the first fight, okay, I lost. So everybody's upset. You know, that I lost. You know, I was supposed to fight for the title. And we were coming out the arena and everyone's getting into the car. I said, I'm going to walk back to the hotel. Everybody's like, what? I said, I want to walk back to the hotel by myself. So it was about a mile walk, mile and a half. I walked back to the hotel. When I got to the hotel, Al was outside waiting for me. So, What's wrong, kid? I said, when we go home, get me a fight. He's like, what? I said, we gotta get me a fight soon. He said, what are you talking about? I said, look, I put it behind me from the arena here. I put it behind me. I know what I did wrong. I know what I gotta work on. Give me. A-. So now I fought him in July,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I fought Salmanby in September.
1: Right. Right. And people got to know, too, like, Mambi had just been world champion, like, I think the year, year or two before that. And, uh, yeah. you know, he was he was top 10 fighter. So you, you came right. I mean, like I said, you, people got to see that fight. I mean, that was, I, you know, if that wasn't fight of the year, I don't know what was uh, that year. It was just unbelievable 10 rounds. And then two months later, you're back in with a former world champ, one of the smartest fighters in the world. It's crazy, man. It's crazy.
2: Randy Gordon called me the week of the fight. He goes, Are you crazy, buddy? <laughs> I said, What are you talking about? He said, You go from fighting a guy four foot tall. <laughs> so, Sal Mamby, are you crazy?
0: <laughs> he said, I love you,
2: buddy, but I think Sao was a little bit too much. Mm. I said, Well I said, well, Randy, we'll find out. <laughs> All right. And um I think after those two fights. It'll make me a better fighter.
1: Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Two great it helped fights. It'll make me a better fighter after those two fights. Two. I mean, and uh, you know, like I told, after the first fight, George Benton told me what I did wrong. Mm. And when I'm getting the rematch, I say Georgia. you "What's up, buddy?" I said, "You know all the stuff you told me I did wrong." You said, "Yeah." So I corrected it. <laughs> He just looked at me, shook his head and said, you motherfucker, you motherfucker. <laughs> you know, Kurt. out of my six losses, four of my six losses were the finest trained by Georgie Benton.
1: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's right. It was, it was Meldrick, Purnell, twice, and uh, and Frankie Warren. Wow, that's right. That's right.
2: Yeah.
1: That's crazy. Oh,
2: man. Wow. Yes.
1: Georgie Benton, yeah, man. Great, great, great team. Great boxing mind. Great boxing mind. Well, let's get back into your career. So you come off that loss to Warren. You get the win over Manby in 87. You, you only fought seven times, buddy. You know, you're kind of sleeping on us there. <laughs> but what the the one fight one fight I remember talking to you about before in, in 87 was Vincent Relaford, because you told me that's the hardest puncher you were ever in there with. So talk about the Relaford fight.
2: <laughs> man, that guy, man. I'm tell you, he hit me with a body shot. I felt it in my nasal passage. Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, because, you know, the first three or four rounds, we were just in, in you know, at the, at the way, and I'm looking at him, like, I'm going to kill this guy.
0: Hmm. And he was real
2: shy, didn't say much. I'm like, oh, I'm. he said, had an afro. I'm like, who did I have an afro in
0: 1987?
2: <laughs> so some, I said, I'm going to kick this guy's ass. Let me tell you. After the first round, I went to the corner. I'm like, somebody told me
0: wrong.
2: <laughs> and then and then after him with that body shot in the fifth round, fifth or sixth round, I went back to the corner. I said, Al, oh, I got to go to plan B." Right. Then I just started boxing him. Right. I mean, every time he got close, I was just hit him with one body shot and keep moving. Hmm. Then by round nine, I was able to hit him with two or three body shots. So now he's slowing down to round 10. He was falling up a little bit. And then round 11, we got in the clinch. Same thing with Frank Erron. I pushed him a little bit. I saw things a little unsteady. I got him now. I mean, and I knocked him out in the next round with 10 seconds left.
3: That's right. That's right. That's
2: right. You know what I mean? So, you know, uh, but the funny thing was, right before I fought him, Sugar Ray Leonard fought Marvin Hagler.
1: That's right, eighty-seven.
2: Right. So, so Sugar Ray Leonard was doing fast combinations and getting out of the out of dodge. So, in my mind, I said, "Do what Ray Leonard did." So, and you would see like around like eight, nine, ten. I went through fast combinations and we're gone.
0: Mm.
2: I said, Ray Leonard did it with Hagler. You could do it with this guy. And I started doing it, and it's working. I'm like, shit, I'm going to stick with this shit, man. That's what I did, man. You never know what goes to your mind sometimes, in, you know, in this situation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. Such a man. such a mental
2: man. game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, people still ask me, why are you so tired, man? I'm like, look, man. Mentally, you guys have no idea what we go through. Right. You know, and to try to, you can't just shut it off. Especially if it's a big fight and you're in a war, your mind is still going. Like after, you know, honestly, when I after Big Frankie won for the title, it took me about a month to come down. Mm. I was in, the, I was in such a zone that I was still there. Right. I mean, when I got home, I was still in that. You know what I mean?
1: Well, you box, I mean, you, you.
2: I, I go. Go ahead. And I would go places, and my mind would just like people were making speeches. My mind was still on Corpus Christi.
1: <laughs> well, you boxed so well in that fight, though. I mean, it was it was the opposite of the first fight because he he never seemed to to get you into the ropes and, and and just pile drive you like he was doing and bang you. I mean. You stayed low in that fight. Was that kind of the game plan going in? I mean, it's like you got you got your leverage, yes. so he couldn't he couldn't bury you into the ropes. You stayed low and and you just use your jab beautifully in that fight. You just controlled
2: it. it he shorter him me. If he gets up under me, I'm a dead duck. Right. So if I stay low with him at his height, I got the reach. So if I'm low, I got the reach. I mean, and every time he got close to me, I hit him with a body shot. Right. Short guys, are not being, they're not used to getting hit to the body. Right. So I, I hit him to the body, and I heard him grunt. I said, oh, I said to myself, oh, no, bro. Your <laughs> ass is mine. Like, I, I love throwing body shots, man.
0: Mm.
2: So when he grunt, I, when he coming, I would get up on his jab and throw right up and cut to the body. Right under his chest. Every time, I wasn't trying to hit him on the chin with it. I knew he had a rock chin. I hit him right to the body with it.
3: Right. I mean. Yeah, you so
2: he can't take this for 15 rounds.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. It was a 15-round fight. It's a 15-round fight. I, I, mean, I mean, your mindset, no wonder your mind was racing. Because, I mean, after that first fight, after going through hell like that for 10 rounds, and then to have to go back there for 15 rounds, holy, you had to be, like, just exactly. wound the fuck up mentally, man, to get ready for that. <laughs> holy shit. But, yeah, you boxed beautifully, man. That That was, I mean, that was, like, one of your masterpieces. You. That was one of your masterpieces, so... So yeah, so then uh, you know, 88 big year for you. You uh you made your defense, first defense against uh Howard Davis and then got like a, a really brilliant uh right hand on him and took him out in one round. Um I think that was the last 15 round scheduled 15 round fight, right? With the with uh Howard yeah. Davis, you you fought and you fought in the last uh 15 rounder. Um So it's crazy though. I mean, they did this to you twice. Uh, when you had the title, it's like you fight Howard Davis and then like, was it like a month later you're in there with Meldrick Taylor. <laughs> yeah. They, they did that to you with Purnell too. They got you like, you know, on you know just like a month after your, your last fight. Was that planned to take, to take those? Uh... You
2: know what? I'm going to be honest. It was a thing called greed. <laughs> I mean, just real talk. It was greed. Um, for some reason, we couldn't uh get Gennaro you know, Leon, you know, we offered to
0: give General Leon, Leon
2: step aside money. He said no. I mean uh, right, no, uh just,
1: just so people know, Gennaro Leon in, in nineteen ninety three was your mandatory when you were the welterweight champion. So
2: Yes, yeah, so but we offered him step aside money and uh he just said, "He said no." Hmm. I mean, Let me rephrase that. According to Al Soto and um and no.
0: Uh, hmm. I mean
2: Janelle Olson. I got so. You. I said, "Okay, now I gotta freaking fight this son of a bitch," and then I got hurt. Uh, I got hurt right before the fight. Mm. and uh but they kept telling me it was tendonitis right you know what I mean and um so you know me not being a doctor you know I, I went on and did what I had to do right 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 you know what I mean and uh at the end of the day you know everything came out but shit that was two layers like closing the barn door after the horse ran out. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? But you know, you live and learn. You know, I right. can't cry over it. I just gotta, you know, keep it moving, Kurt. You know,
1: absolutely, absolutely, absolutely.
2: I Man, after you know, after I had the shoulder surgery, when they told me it was over for me, they told me I couldn't fight anymore, mm. and uh, I was like, okay, and the doctor said that's it. <laughs> and I, I was determined, you know, having having them tell me that, and then finding out that you got sold out, mm. makes you want to prove everybody wrong. Ah, okay. So my ultimate goal was to come back to prove everybody wrong, and I came back too fast,
0: which is okay.
2: I, I, I came back, you know, and. Um, I fought. Let me see I had a
1: business schedule. I fought. Nick Wuper in October. Then I fought Jesse James you in January. So hold on, let, let me let then me I... uh let me let me set the scene for folks. So in in eighty eight you you defended against Davis, then then you lost the title to Meldrick. Eighty nine and ninety you, you fought like a ton of guys, you fought on T V. You know, speaking of injuries, you ripped your bicep in the in, in the Bermudese fight in ninety, had to recover from that. Um the Frank Montgomery fight in ninety one, did you get injured in that fight too? Or No. Okay.
0: That
2: was one of my, my like, second or third fight back.
1: Right, 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 right. Um
3: It
2: was my second fight back after the bicep to
1: Right, right. Um and then and then you beat in an upset, I think you were a 10-to-1 underdog against Simon Brown. Yeah. You uh, fought him in Vegas. Uh, you had, what, a strep throat, I heard, a couple weeks before the fight. <laughs>
2: uh, look, I had to go to the doctor and get a shot in the ass and stay in the bed for four days. Huh?
1: That's crazy.
2: Yeah. That's crazy. But you, fought- I was a fanatic about my weight. I was a fanatic about my weight, you know? Mm-hmm. I always worried about my weight. <laughs> so Al said, you can't do nothing, Doc. Doc said, you can't do nothing. I said, okay. But I was going to the bathroom and turn the shower on and shadow box. <laughs> and I put Abilene on and shadow box in the bathroom.
0: <laughs> Woke up a
2: sweat and take a shower and get back in the bed. No one knew what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and they're like, you didn't put on no weight. I'm like, no, I didn't. And I was I was like, yo, buddy, man, you know. I was always just, I still was always worried about my weight
1: absolutely well the 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 simon brown fight though i mean that 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 was that might be your masterpiece because i mean brown big favorite a guy who had unified the titles um i think he, he ended up like letting one go before he fought you but definitely the best welterweight in the world at, at the time when there were some really great welterweights and uh and man it's the thing that always impressed me about that fight, you just read him like a book, it seemed like. Like, you, you you, had radar that fight. I mean, he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't hit you with the with the big shots, especially that hook that uh, that he seemed to catch everybody else with. Um, so how did you prepare for Simon Brown?
2: I, had, I was in Florida. Tra- I trained in Florida. I had one small partner. His name was Glenn Montague. The I boxed had- with him. And uh, for like three, four weeks,
0: and then when we got to Vegas,
2: we had Jeff Mayweather and Skipper Kelp.
1: Oh, wow, Skipper Kelp, okay. You
2: know what I mean? And uh, funny thing when I was training there, Eddie Fletch was training Mike McCollum for the first James Tony fight. Oh, wow. So one day Eddie got there early and watched me spawn And when I sat down, he said, you know, kid, I like the way you work. Hmm. He said, do you mind if I come in here some days and you spawn early? I said, Mr. Fletcher, be an honor to have here.
3: Right.
2: He said, I won't say anything. He said, I just like watching you the way you work. I used to come sometime, twice, maybe three times. Well, you just sit there and watch me. And Then he walked by and t- tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Good work, young man." Mm. You know what I mean? So you know that you know that that meant a lot a lot to me at that point in time. But you know, I knew that Simon Brown, after the sixth round, he puts he likes to put his foot on the gas. Mm. So I says, "When he puts his foot on the gas, I got to stomp the gas." <laughs> and that's what I did. Basically, when he turned it up, I would turn up two notches. He go one, I
0: go two. He went three, I go four. Mm. I mean, that's that's how
2: that's how I did it. To
1: be honest with you. Now you fought a brilliant fight, yeah. man. You fought an amazing fight. Um, it's crazy. You know, it's funny. I was in Vegas at that time, but because you know, shit, this was 1991. There was no internet or anything. I didn't know you were fighting out there. I definitely would have gone to that fight. But I'm I'm in the airport, and I'm you know heading back to New York. And, you know, I'm I'm waiting in the lobby for the for the plane and I see all these people with Buddy McGirt jackets on and I'm just like, oh, shit, Buddy McGirt fought Simon Brown. So I'm like, who won the fight? And, you know, it might have been your mom or one of your family members, but they're just like, who won the fight? They're like, Simon Brown hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, all right. You know, Buddy won. That's awesome. That's awesome. But it's funny on on the business end of this. Now you were you were the mandatory for Simon Brown, right?
2: No, yes, you were. I was was the mandatory for the IBF.
1: Right, 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 right. But you still had. I mean, you still had to give up options to King, right? You had to give up four options to King to get the shot. What's that? Yes, yes,
2: yes, I did. Yes, yes, I did.
1: Yeah. So I mean, but he didn't use him.
2: He didn't use him.
1: Right. 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 But it's funny, it's like this is He had options. See he
3: had
2: options, but we had to okay them or not. We had the you know the option to okay them, but we gave him the option for like Anti B say he offered me what is the Mexican guy's name and um shit. they had like a hundred chicken pro fights.
1: Not Chavez. Strong
2: Mexican. no, the strong Mexican. He was big. Uh, campus, campus, Yuri are campus, yes.
0: Okay, you're for you,
2: but campus for a hundred thousand.
0: Hmm.
2: My man said, are You crazy? <laughs> he said, Why would I fight that killer for a hundred
0: thousand
2: dollars? <laughs> I was like, Oh, you're beating me. My man's like, Man, I was like, Are you out of your freaking mind? <laughs> he has a killer. <laughs> I mean, so, uh. So we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. Did, you know, didn't
1: it, it come nothing else after that. I got you. It's funny because this is this was pre the Muhammad Ali Act, and that was one of the thing. And people say the yeah. Ali Act didn't accomplish anything, but th- that's one thing that doesn't happen anymore. When you're mandatory, you know, guys can't take options on you. But um, you uh, yeah, you. So you won that fight. So um, well, you won. You won in uh, let's see, you fought Brown in November of ninety one. Um now Meldrick Taylor had beaten uh Aaron Davis in in, in January ninety one. So he was one of the other champs. Was there any talk of a rematch with you and Meldrick?
2: Yes. a rematch was on the table. Al mm. fucked it up.
1: Hmm.
2: offered me one point eight million.
1: Holy shit. Wow. This is nine this is like nineteen ninety two dollars. <laughs> it's a lot of yeah, money.
2: That's an hour. That's an hour. Take the fight, goes, but this we can get we can get two million. I said, "Ah, who cares for the one hey He goes, "Well, what are they gonna do with another twenty 000? I said, "Who cares a shit?" But they
1: do another twenty <laughs> oh, thousand. Ah, sucks. Said,
2: take the fight. He's like, "Okay, okay." And then I put up the paper the next day. He turned it down.
1: Ugh, ugh.
2: So I'll fight here in, in Italy.
1: They go fight in Italy for 150000 Hmm. Oh, against, uh, was it Patrizio Oliva? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so hold up. Um, now the King offered you um, Terry Norris around that time. I remember reading something about you fighting Terry Norris around that no, time. No, no. Junior uh, middleweight champ. They
2: were talking about me fighting Terry Norris, when Terry Norris was getting
1: ready to fight Ray Leonard. Ah. And when I
2: was coming back from my surgery
1: ah okay 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 well uh-huh. i said shit
2: i'm not no damn during the middleweight
1: right right yeah norris was right. a bad man norris yeah. was a bad man okay so now so now we get to 93 after you beat uh beat the kid in italy um so in 93 you had the fight with uh gennaro Leon and and you said you uh yeah, I remember reading about that. I remember there was something wrong with your your left shoulder. Kind of no one knew what it was, but in fact, it, it ended up being, it wasn't tendonitis, it ended up being a rotator cuff, right? Yes. So, yeah, crazy thing about that too, even with one arm, like I had, I had Sweet Pea beating you 7-5, but that easily could have been scored a to draw too. I mean, that fight was close. It was a really good fight. I mean, it's got to be a source of frustration for you thinking, you know, you could have beaten Pernell Whitaker if you'd had two healthy hands.
2: Oh, man, forget about it. When I watch, I can't watch the tape of the fight because I get inside and I see, you know, I'm like I hit him with a right uppercut, mm. but I couldn't throw the left that to save my life. Right, right, right. Man, it just it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was frustrating. I'm like, I can get this motherfucker, man. If I can't throw. Like, I tried to throw my hook against Leon, and it was like in slow motion.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. So I knew I couldn't do that with pronation. It was too smart. Right. I mean, I know I couldn't do it. So I had to, you know, you figure out fought you know, Leon with the torn rotator, I mean, with the yeah with the torn rotator cuff. Then I go home for a week, and I go back to training camp. I'm training the whole time. They're telling me it's tendonitis.
0: They have me doing
2: rehab. This whole time I'm doing this shit with a tone rotator cuff.
0: Mm. Mm. Mm.
2: Training every day, and then they have the weighing at 10 o'clock at night.
1: The weighing was at 10 o'clock the night at night.
2: Before. What? 10 o'clock at night, the night before.
1: That's crazy. Why? Why they do it so late?
2: You know, I, 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 I have no not so now we're in the limo going to Manhattan. And I will never forget this day as long as I live. We get up to the Lincoln Tunnel. And Al sort of looks at me and says, If you want to pull out, you can.
0: Mm. I
2: said, Al, you're saying this so you can have a clear conscience. <laughs> He goes, what are you talking about? I said, the fight is tomorrow. Right. You know, goddamn well, I'm not going to pull out. Not now. I said, when I said it three weeks ago, you had a fit. Right. I said, you're standing out to clear your conscience. You know what I mean? Mm. So, you know, then it just kind of, I was really turned off after that. I was pissed. I was like, this motherfucker knows my shit is fucked up. Right. I mean, so, you know, after the fight, the truth came out.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. After the fight, the truth came out, and, you know, I had a lawsuit. And I had the lawsuit pretty much wrapped up until Al had to go give his deposition. At
0: the deposition, he buried
2: me when it gets ready.
1: Wow, were you guys still on? You guys were still on good terms, I would assume at that point. Like you had no idea he was going to do that
2: uh, up until that point. After he did it, I had nothing else to say to him.
1: Right, right.
2: I'm like, how can you do that, man?
1: That's crazy. That's crazy because you know what? Like I think earlier in that year too. I mean, you had to testify in front of the Senate, right? The the Senate were uh, yeah. investigating organized crime and boxing. You got called in front of the Senate, organized for, about organized crime, and that was over you know alleged uh, ties that that Al and uh, Stewart had. Uh, no,
2: nah, it, it, it was Stewart. It wasn't Al.
1: It wasn't Al. Yeah, yeah right. It Stewart wasn't Al. Stewart. Right.
2: Stewart had the Jewish last name. Right. So, Ooh, if, you're, if you're in the VF,
3: you're, you're going go to
2: go for the guy with the Italian name. Not right. a guy named Stuart Wiener, You're going to look for a lawyer. Right. Right. But it was really Stuart. You know what I mean? Yeah, because
1: cause at, at the hearings, he pleaded the fifth, right? When they asked him about his mob yeah. ties. <laughs> but Serto went the only thing
0: is this. His, his, his,
2: his answer truth is this. The mob never asked me for nothing. Right. They were protecting Stewie from another family. Hmm. See, another family tried to strong arm Stewie and get him out of of the way so they could take over my career.
0: Hmm.
2: So Stewie turned to the boys in, in New York to keep these guys off of him. So whatever money Stewie gave them, that's on Stewie, not on me. Right. Yeah, I mean, if it came out of anybody's pocket, it came out of Stewart's pocket, it didn't come out of my pocket. But he did tell me what he had to do. Mm. He drove to Long Island at one o'clock in the morning. I had to meet him in a diner. And he says, buddy, you know, this is the only way I can be a part of your career. I got to protect myself. He said, if not, I got to leave. You. I can't manage you anymore. He says, because they're going to kill me. Wow. Wow. That's it with Stewie. Do what the fuck you got to do, man.
0: Mm.
2: He goes, but it's not going to cost you anything, I promise. This is Stewie. Do what you got to do.
0: Right. And he
2: did. But, you know, he didn't have to come to me and tell me, but he did. Mm. You know, Stewie came to me and told me. I'm telling you, he drove up to Long Island. At one o'clock in the morning, he called me and asked me to meet him at a diner. So I went to meet him. And was like my father. Man. Mm. Now, I met him right after my father died.
0: Mm.
2: So, you know, he told me he had a fucking order off. I've never been to a fancy restaurant at that point in my life. I was 18. The only fancy restaurant I went to was Sizzle Steak at that time. I mean, i never been to a fancy restaurant. You know, it's the first restaurant he took me to. What's that? Fucking Peter Luger's.
1: Wow. Wow. I
2: had on fucking jeans and a, a Dow and t shirt. <laughs> and the Major D says, he can't get in there like that. Hmm. Hmm. Still, we took off 50 bucks, put it in his hand, and the guy said, table for two. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, when I, like what I said. All, with all that shit, I'm like a student. I'm not illiterate, you know what I mean? I mean, I can could, I could read and I've been to school and I'm an honor roll student. I said, well, what the fuck is this shit here on the side of the menu? <laughs> I mean, and he told me. that he told me how to order off the fucking menu.
0: Mm.
2: You know, Alicard and all that shit. I was like, what the fuck is all this, brother? He said, this, we the go on the sister's stick, Pointing out what the fuck I want, that's it. <laughs> He
0: taught
2: me how to tip. I mm. He taught me how to tip. You know what I mean? And he bought me my first telemate made suit. Wow. And he looked. You know, he was like my my dad, man. He looked out for me. Mm. I mean, he always looked out for me. I mean, when I didn't have it, Stu was always there for me.
0: Wow. You know
2: what I mean? Yeah, Stu was my man. For you know, when I was coming up. And I'd even go to the Lone Shark store and take the guy from me. Mm. He'd get the money, and he'd pay the fucking chance on the money from me. Mm. Mm. I mean, I love the man. You know, he's like my my dad, man. You know, And, and, and you know, I, I'll never, ever forget him because he's always had my back.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, you know, you, you weren't some guy who got a title shot because you were all mobbed up. I mean, shit, it took you 38 fights, man. You mean it's the mob? <laughs> that, that's,
2: that's, that's the mob. That's the gang that couldn't shoot straight. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs>
2: but see, but all the but see, the funny thing is, all they were doing was protecting Stewie. Right. And Stewie's life was in danger, so they mm. was protecting Stewie. That's it.
0: Mm. Oh,
2: man, I ain't
0: going all day
1: about that shit, man. <laughs> That's the thing I was gonna say. I mean, you know, the after the after the uh, after you lost the title of Whitaker, you won. Like, you know, you you came back from the injury, came back too soon, uh, but still, you kind of wheeled yourself to the to the rematch with Pernell. But seemed like you know, after the you dropped him in the second round, but after you know, by about the fifth round, you just seemed kind of listless in that fight. Like you just weren't in it.
2: Uh, Kurt. I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it to you straight. When I beat Pat Coleman, they told me I'd fight him for now. I started crying. Mm. So my wife was like, What's wrong? I said, I don't wanna fight anymore. Mm. She's like, What? I said, I did what they said I couldn't do. They said I couldn't come back. They went against me. My my manager, they knew I was hurt, but they still put me in the fight. I came back.
0: Mm.
2: So my desire is gone. Mm. So she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I really don't want to fight no more. I said, but now that I got three months, I got to take it. She said, I no, you don't, buddy. You can just come home and say, fuck it.
0: And I, when I went home,
2: I was ready to call Al and be like, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean? But right. then I'm like, I'm like, they went out for, you know, like $400,000. i am like, well, I'm not going to turn that down. I'm not going hmm. for 20000 <laughs> yeah. But through training camp and all that, I just went through the motions, man. I, I mm-hmm. just didn't. Because <laughs> every time I looked at them, <clears throat> every time I looked at Al, a
0: simple
1: betrayal. Hmm. Hmm. Oh man, that's got to be rough. That's so, got to be demoralizing. Yeah,
2: so it was hard, man. It's like you know, you lied to me, man. You knew I was injured, but yeah, you still sent me out there.
1: Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's deep.
2: So every time I saw him, it was just you know just used to irk me, man. To be like, I, I got to get away from this guy.
1: Hmm. Wow. Wow. I yeah, mean, and I
2: um. You know, so it was tough, man, but, you know, I did what I had to do. I made it through the training camp, and I said, I'm going to go out early and try to get him out. And if I don't after that, then uh, it's going to be a long night.
1: Right, right. Well, you did drop him. It was a oh. nice nice right hand, but uh, Purnell didn't stay down.
2: Right, <laughs> no, no. When he got up, I said, well, it comes a long night. <laughs> I was dead after that.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, you just pretty much... Uh, you know, you stayed in that in the yeah. shell in the crouch uh you know, pretty much yeah. the rest of the night. It's crazy. But mm. but ninety four
2: so, yeah, I have, have the desire to fight on.
1: Yeah, I see, you know, ninety four must have been, you know, besides a Whitaker fight, you know, definitely uh, one of the highlights of your career, you appeared in uh Max Kellerman's rap video for uh Rumble Young Man Rumble so yeah. <laughs> after yeah, that it was right. all downhill man <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> well hold up i gotta ask no, you man. about it at least what one more thing that i found uh when i was digging around uh that i thought was interesting in 95 i mean i remember when you fought buck smith when coming back and i mean you just schooled buck smith but did, were you supposed to fight Duran, Roberto Duran, in June of uh, 95?
2: Yeah. Crazy. How, I told him, I said, I said you guys crazy. I, said, I just saw him fight. I was at the Hall of Fame. He fought somebody and knocked him out. I said, I'm not fighting that motherfucker, man. <laughs> that motherfucker still fight, man. <laughs> and my desire then was not, was gone. Right. I moved up the middleweight.
3: Right, right.
2: I just fought
3: Joe Gaddy
2: and middle way. Hm. I mean. Right. And I had to lose a pound at the way and I was a pound overweight at the
1: way. Hmm. Mm. So you were just kind of so, ma- you know, mailing yeah. it in at that point. You're just going for the paydays. Although yeah. you only you only lost two more times, right? You lost Andrew Council and then yeah. uh and your former sparring partner, uh, Darren Machinsky. Yeah. So 90,
2: no, I 90, had no, desi- no, desi- no desire for that.
1: Right, right. I, I think I remember you telling me about uh, you were in Colorado training for a fight after the Machinsky fight. And, you know, you yeah. you, you went out for a run and, and you just was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm done.
2: <laughs> Pretty much, man. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, 97, so, yeah, you fought uh, Machinsky in January 97, and then, uh, so, you know, you get the long flight home from Colorado, trying to figure out, now, actually, this this is interesting, I want to, you know, because I, I, someone had uh, asked me, like, you know, if I could, you know, do something about fighters, uh, you know, after they retire, and, you know, how they should handle things, but, uh, um, yeah, tell tell them about you, you, the flight home from Colorado once you decided to, to pack it in.
2: It was the longest flight of my life <laughs> because I had bills that were mounting up. I had the ton revenue up my ass and no money coming in. I had a few bucks saved, but I said, how long is this going to last? You know I mean? I had a house, car payments. Child support. Mm. I mean, a lot of shit on my plate. And it's like, okay, buddy, what the fuck are you going to
0: do? All
2: right. right? What are you going to do? do? I mean, uh, to make any money, the IRS is going to be a ass. Mm. So, going to the radar, then, but you, but you got to stay there. -hmm. Right, and uh, it was tough, man. I gotta say, it was a tough time in my life. To be honest, with you? But I got smart in the sense that I lowered a lot of my expenses. Like I had a motorcycle, right? So I sold three of my cars. One got repossessed. Mm. I sold. I sold the other three. And I bought my wife a new car. I said, "A car for you and the kids." I bought an SUV. Mm. So she said, "Well, how the fuck are you gonna get around?" I said, "On my motorcycle." She said, "You fucking crazy!" I'm like, "What you <laughs> want me to do?" She said, "Take me to work." I said, "I don't have time for that." Well, that time I take you to work. We go out to Jersey, wherever uh, New York. I gotta find work come back, I don't have time for it.
0: Let so i take
2: my motorcycle, I'll be fine. She told about me every night. You know what I mean? So then um, my man, the great Murad Muhammad, dear friend of mine, I love him dearly, called me up and he said, champion, you want to make five grand? I said, what well, I got to do, Murad? He said, can you get to Atlantic City? I said, wait. He said, tonight. I said, I'll be there. So I gave you five grand cash. He said, I'll be there. I got the phone. With I says, how are you going to get to man said, I says, I a motorcycle. She goes, are you fucking nuts? I said, let's go cost me gas. She says, but you have a bad battery. How the fuck are you going to get there? I bought a pair of jumper cables, Kurt, and tied them around my neck. Got one motorcycle. Went to Atlanta
0: City. (laughs) Shit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I got stuck once on the way back. Mm. (laughs) But the guy pushed me and I popped the clutch.
3: Damn. But
2: I got to honestly tell you, that was the longest ride in my life. Mm. The, The motorcycle, the sticker was good. The motorcycle had no insurance. And I had no fucking
1: motorcycle license.
2: Holy shit. Wow. But I still have my HBO Watson jacket. Hmm. So the cops fucking. not Hmm. And I got to Atlantic City. And, uh, I went and parked the motorcycle that I went in and, uh, that's a people to put on my jumper cables. And they said, no problem. And uh, I went to the fights, went to the fights on the They Gave me five grand. And uh, yeah, I had a there. But I said, buddy, got, I said, you got to get home, man. I went, gave it on the neck again, his field boxing jacket, got up my motorcycle, back to the wrong
1: Holy shit, wow. So, I was talking to Brian Adams, and he swears that he was the very first fighter that you started training when you started training fighters. Is that true? No. (laughs) I let
0: him believe that. I let him believe that. I let him (laughs) believe that. Who
1: who was the first fighter you started training? Because you started training in 97.
2: I really don't want to know the truth. I was training before 96. I was training
1: in the 80s when I was fighting. No shit. Wow. Okay. I
2: was training amateurs.
0: mm, mm.
2: When I had time off, I would train amateurs in Long Island. Mm. Because I started boxing January 17th. And January 18th, I wanted to be a trainer. <laughs> I wanted to be a trainer after I started boxing.
1: That's wild.
2: The very next day, I want to be a trainer. Because so I, love, I love the aspect of outsmarting another man. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that. I love, to me, it's a challenge, and I love it.
1: Absolutely. You know I mean. Absolutely.
2: And uh, you know, people say, man, you create I love it. I love it. Especially if you get the fighter that listens to you in the the way you want him. It's the greatest feeling in the world to me.
3: Right, right.
2: The favorite discipline in the golf. I mean, mm. because, you know, like I say, one thing my mom always was strict on us about was education. You had to get good grades. If not, you couldn't play no sports. You couldn't do nothing.
0: Mm. So believe it or not, I was
2: an honor student from and, 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 and high. I went to high school.
1: I believe that. I believe that. Absolutely.
2: Well, I was supposed to I was supposed to go to college. Mm. I mean, and my father's, like, uh, and my father's uh, Social Security would have paid for me to go to school. My father was dead, but the Social Security that he had he was gonna pay, would have paid for me to go to school, and I just had to maintain a certain average,
0: and my English teacher had
2: it set up for me, and... Then my girlfriend told me she was pregnant and I turned pro. Oh, excuse me. I told my I uh, told my mom I couldn't go to college. She she went to the fucking roof. Mm, mm, mm. She said, Are you out of your fucking mind. <laughs> like, no, I can't. You know what I mean? I said, I want to box professional. But I didn't tell her my girlfriend was pregnant, my girlfriend told me. Mm. But I was scared.
3: Right.
2: So my son's mother told me, but then we wound up breaking up anyway. So, but you know, so I've always loved putting my brain to work when, I mean, when something's challenging, I've always loved it mentally, Mm -hmm. challenging mentally.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: man. Absolutely. It keeps me on my toes.
1: (laughs) Well, I met you, that's, that's probably when I met you was 97, kind of later in the year with the... Fighter, my, the first fighter, actually, probably the second fighter I managed, uh, LeVan Easley, if you remember that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Do you, you hear from
1: You know what? Every once in a while, I'll see him at the fights. And, and you know, because LeVan will say, hey, that was my old
2: manager. He <laughs> don't live in Florida no more? I thought he moved to Florida.
1: He may have moved to Florida. Yeah. I mean, just the last time I saw him was a, a few years ago, man. A few years ago, I saw him at uh, one of Lou DeBella's fights.
2: The talent he had was unbelievable,
1: man. Big, strong kid. Yeah, absolutely. He
2: he was a a fucking nutcase, man. (laughs) He was a fucking nutcase. I mean, I had him at Page with James Camp. Camp with James Page, just kicking James Page ass.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: And then they could just get an argument with everybody in the fucking building one day.
1: (laughs) Dude, I remember, I remember when you guys got into an argument. I remember being in the room, and he started going off. I was like, oh, shit. You got to be kidding me, man. And I was just like, at that point. Yeah, man. Ugh. He wanted, to be
2: a, he wanted to be a gangster. Right. right. <laughs> he wanted to be a gangster so bad. I'm like, yo, look at that. Check this out. Either you are or you are. Right. I said, so you get ready to have a baby. So if you in jail, who's going to take care of your baby? The next man. Right, right. So fuck that gangster shit. You want (laughs) to hang out with this guy, because he's a gangster. Fuck that, man. They're one of two places, dead or in jail. Absolutely. I mean, so be smart, man. Don't don't be a fucking idiot, man. I mean, don't be an idiot.
1: Absolutely. I mean,
2: so... Well, hey... You know, I mean... uh.
1: I was gonna say, uh, you know, I, I I probably I mean I, I could talk to you all day, buddy, but uh, you know I want to wrap this up a little bit. I mean, I wanted to get into to Gaddy and and, and the time we okay. had in, in, in Indonesia with smoke Smokeyner, but yeah, with well, Gaddy is funny because again, you know, I had Teron Mallett at the time, and uh, you know when we signed to, for the Gaddy fight, I was psyched because Gaddy just gotten beat up by De La Hoya, and I thought we were catching Gaddy at the right time and. You know, I think the betting odds on that fight were pretty even. And then when I found out you were training him, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. I, you know, buddies, you know, learned and forgotten more about boxing than, than our side will ever know. So, shit. And, yeah, Arturo gave uh, Toronto a pretty good beating that night. But but you had, a, I mean, with Gaddy, you had a great ride, man. And, and you know, 2002 was a great oh. year for you, your trainer of the year. Boxing Writer Trainer of the Year. I mean, you you not only had uh, the Millette fight, you had the two Ward fights. You you got Antonio Tarver to beat Eric Harding in a rematch in 2002. Big year for you. Big year for you. Now, you worked for King, though. You were working for King around that time, right? As well? I worked for King before that. Before Before that. Before that. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Cause I, that was like about nineteen ninety nine to two thousand one or something, right? You you were working with King. Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: It's funny because uh, I, I remember uh, I remember King doing a, a press conference about having a fight in China. Tell 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 the people what uh what King said to you about taking you to China.
2: I can't remember. I don't remember to be honest <laughs> with you.
1: You see, you told me that King King told you that you know, buddy, you know. We're going to promote this fight in China, you know. And I, I'd love to take you there, but uh, you know they're they're trying to control the population over there. So I don't know if I can get do you, you think?
2: in. <laughs> <laughs> I you're talking over sort of shit like that. <laughs> um,
1: oh man! But how was working with Arturo, man? It was great.
2: You know, we had a lot of fun, but after the. Um, after
0: the Mayweather fight, he was never
2: the same. Mm. Right, he was never the same after
1: that. That was a it was a bridge too far, man. Bridge too far. Yeah, too sharp, too sharp for him. So, yeah, shit, man. You you've worked with so many great fighters over the years. I mean, you know, there's Arturo and and Tarver and Johnny Tapia, James Page, Byron Mitchell. Who else? Vernon Forrest, uh Leila Lee, Fernando Vargas, Lehman Brewster, <laughs> Thomas Adamek, Joel Casamayor, yeah. Dude, it's like an all-star team you got, you know? Um it's crazy though. The the, the most fun I ever I ever saw like uh with you in a corner though was with Vernon, you and Al Mitchell. It was it was like you guys had remote control on Vernon because Vernon's in the ring, and you're like Throw the right hand. Boom, here comes the right hand. Straighten it out. Boom, it's straight. How <laughs> was it working with Vernon? You know what?
2: Let me tell you, the world never saw his real talent.
0: Hmm.
2: He never really exposed all his talent because he didn't have to. But if he ever had to, whoever he'd fought and experienced it have been like, what the hell? <laughs> the man was unbelievable, man.
1: Absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely.
2: A, you know, I used to have an old man, no lie, used to come to the gym in Vero Beach just to watch him shadowbox.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
2: But the so man was just, you know, he'll be shadow shadowboxing, he'll do a move. I said, I said okay, Viper, i do that again. What did I just do? Mm. Man was this! <laughs> man, I'm telling you, man, him and Tava were, were unbelievable.
3: Right, right. And
2: and, and this kid Johnny Beck, is the next one.
1: Yeah, he's a sharp kid.
2: And I got a kid and I, and I got a
1: kid named Adam Lopez. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him fight. He's he's another sharp kid. Absolutely, yeah, Sharp <laughs> I
2: mean, so, you know what I mean? Cool. Shit, man. But, uh, but, Gary, you know, working up to it was fun. You know, talking was fun. Work with all of them was fun, man. I, I got to say.
1: Absolutely.
2: Even Layla. I had a great time with Layla.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. Right. Lay- Layla came around a little too early. If she came around now, she could really make, uh, I mean, I'm sure she did fine, but she could make a ton of mon- ton more money now. Man, she's making a ton now doing what she's doing. Yeah, that's true. That's what. Oh, man, I, I love Layla. Layla's so sharp, man. She's definitely very together. Yeah. She's very together. She got, she
2: got cookbooks, cooking shows, <laughs> my own makeup line. She's
1: doing her thing. I see everything I here
2: in California. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's
1: cool. All right. So. Hey, listen, uh, I got a couple more for you, and then, and then I'll let you go. But, you know, I read, uh, I read something that... It, kind of made me sad really sad actually i was reading about chris bird um chris not doing so well these days he's got a lot of injuries a ton of aches and pains and and uh they said you know he's like in pain every day he's got like you know chris bird was like clean clean living guy christian guy like he's saying now he's got to like smoke you know marijuana all day just to just to deal with all the pain and I was just wondering, I mean, dude, you, you had a shit ton of injuries in your career. You had a torn bicep, torn rotator cuff. You know, your hands got chewed up. You know, you got a filling knocked loose against Frankie Warren. I mean, how how are you doing? I mean, you you went through, you know, 80, 80 pro fights and a ton of amateur fights. I mean, physically, how how well, are you these days?
0: I, I, thank, I
2: thank God that physically, you know, like, I'm great. mm. I mean, the uh, only thing that happened to me was uh, I had to have a pacemaker put in a year ago. Oh wow! No, I'm sorry. Two months ago.
1: Two months. Okay. Okay.
2: Because I had um, <laughs> what well, was it? 2000. I got th- I got diagnosed with hyper hyperthyroidism. Ah. Okay. Hyper. And my thyroid. Remember, like when you met me, I was real skinny.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: My thyroid was working overtime.
0: Mm.
2: Faster than normal. Mm. That's why I couldn't put any weight on. Mm. Then I got AFib. You know what
3: I mean? Mm-hmm. AFib is
2: when you get a regular heartbeat. Your heartbeats really fast.
3: Right, right,
2: right. So Faster than normal. So uh, the AFib started getting out of control. They couldn't control it. You know what I mean? So I had congestive heart failure. Oh wow! Yeah, so they had to put the pacemaker in and put me on medication to control the a fit. You know I mean, because there was you know without the pacemaker, my a fit would be so high, I wouldn't know it, and I could have had a fucking heart attack at any time.
1: Right, right, put you in danger. Wow. Okay. Yeah,
2: like, you know, my shit was gone
0: to like 220,
2: 240 beats a minute. Mm. So when I got the pacemaker put in, the first, uh, about three days after I got it put in, you know, that motherfucker shocked me. Let me tell you something, man. I, I felt like someone kicked me in the ass. Mm. <laughs> but I thank God now, you know. So I thought it was because I, cause I was doing this in the gym. So it went off, and then I was like, fuck. And then a couple weeks later, I was at my daughter's 316, just sitting down talking. Boom, I got shot again.
0: Ooh, like, what wow.
2: the fuck? Mm. Mm. So I went to, I went to the, uh, you know, every time it goes off, you got to go to the hospital. Right. Then they call the people and they check it. So the guy says, it's not your activity. It's just a freaking AFib. He goes, your AFib is out of control.
0: Mm.
2: We have to monitor your AFib. So thank God that they, they they got, you know, they got new medicine that has the AFib under control. You know what I mean? But the only bad thing about this medicine is if I catch a cold, I can't take any cough medicine. Oh, wow. I got to call the doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. And
2: they have to see what medicine will will go with this heart medicine. Oh wow! Which is, you know, which is okay. Which is okay because, I mean, um, I mean, basically, it's just you know, I feel great now. I mean, I you know, when when I first had the uh, like a pacemaker put in, you know, they told me to take it easy for like three or four weeks. So I was in the gym, but I couldn't do nothing with the fighters.
3: Right. Right.
2: And I was a, I fucking broke the
1: 250 pounds. Mm, mm, mm. Which isn't
2: good I for mean, your heart
1: <laughs> at all. <laughs>
2: exactly. So, right. you know, now I got 15 pounds. Let me tell you, I got 15 pounds off. I feel great. They got my freaking heart. right under control.
0: Mm.
2: I'm good. So everything's normal. They said, look, buddy, the pacemaker, it's good. They said it's good to have it and not need it. It's a need it and not have
3: it. Right, right.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. it is. What, if the it goes crazy, it will shock you. And let you know. If this medicine don't work, it was shock mm. shocking. It's It shock how to get it back to normal rhythm. Mm. But thank God this medicine has got it under control.
1: Well, that's good.
2: So now I can live normal now. Well,
1: that's good but to hear, the man. Stuff
2: like Chris Burr, the stuff that Chris Bird's gone through, I heard that you know. I heard the same thing you did. Raymond Brooks said, "Buddy, man, he's in he, he bad shape." Right? right. It's just from
1: those on him, man. Yeah, that's what it's a, that's what it sounded like. And he also, you know, Chris being Chris, I mean, he's he's you know more than boxing. I mean, he loved to play basketball, play football, run, and all. He's still trying to do that stuff at like you know forty. And he like blew out his hips, he blew out his knees, so I think that that's probably where most of the pain's coming from, too. So, so hey, man, I'll, I'll let you go, buddy. I'll let you go, but, you man, it was great, great talking heard. to you again, and, you know, you're one of the few uh, Hall of Fame-level champions who had an equally great career as a trainer, you know, as you did as a fighter, and thrilled that you got uh, into the Hall of Fame, man. I want to congratulate you again, and really appreciate you taking the time Thank to you. chop it up with me, man.
2: No problem. My pleasure, man. All right, my man. Take care. All right, man. Take care, man. All right, man.
1: Talk to you. Hang on. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring. I'd like to thank uh, James Buddy McGirt for taking the time out to speak with me. It's always a pleasure to talk to Buddy. Um, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes. Um, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast and also visit uh, ringtv.com to uh, check out the accompanying piece that I usually do with the podcast uh, give you excerpts from the interview and a little background um, I'd really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast and until next time so long everybody